Hello and welcome to Raw Chatter, the stuff that matters. I am your host, Vicky Midwood, and I am bringing you this podcast bi-weekly. We will be talking to guests and I will be talking on my own alternately all about subjects that we want to bring to the forefront of conversations. This is non-censored stuff on subjects that perhaps we don't talk about enough and I truly believe that nothing should be taboo and the more we can talk about things, the more we can bring things into the open, the more we can be totally honest about how we feel and what we think without worrying about judgment from other people, the better. So thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome. It is your host here, Vicky Midwood. Welcome to this episode 21 of Raw Chatter, the stuff that matters. And I am delighted to bring to you someone who's going to talk on a subject that we have not covered at all yet, but it's definitely something that a lot of you will be able to resonate with. I've got the incredible Tasha Thor Stratton with me, who is an NLP practitioner specializing in health and well-being. And she's going to share some of her incredible story. So straight over to you, Tasha. Thank you for joining me and welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So well, I guess starting right at the beginning, it was over five years ago now, and I was experiencing um, blood in my poo. And uh, it wasn't all the time. So there were occasions where there would just be a little bit and I was like, oh, maybe it's just some piles or hemorrhoids. There's nothing wrong. I'll just ignore it. And then there'll be a period of time when there was nothing at all. And then it got to um, December 2016 and it was between Christmas and New Year and I was away with my other half. And it, it just got to the point where it's just the, the amount of blood that was there was just too much to ignore. Um, and I booked an appointment to go to my GP and then I chickened out from saying anything because I didn't really want the GP to look at my bum. <laughs> and, I, and I think I also... thing, isn't it? That's yeah. something that I think my listeners will be going, I, I absolutely know what she's talking about. Because when it comes to going to the GP with anything to do with down there, we yeah. get very embarrassed, don't we? And you'll know exactly. from any of us. You know, I've got two children. I've had two C-sections. I've got lots of experience with being in hospital. So that shouldn't have been the case. But I think in my subconscious, I was thinking, well, I'm 44. I'm fit and I'm healthy. I go to the gym. I love broccoli it's not gonna be anything, it, it didn't even occur to me that it could be anything different. Um, and then again, I made another appointment with the GP a few weeks later, again, chickened out, talked about something else. And then at last, I decided that, you know, really I had to take notice of this thing. And, um, you know, he was, a, he was a good GP and I mentioned that my mum has ulcer ulcerative colitis and she has regular biopsies. There's not been any developments in that, but she takes regular medication. And it was because of that. And he was like, oh, okay, you know, well, let's just send you for a colonoscopy just to make sure. So a few weeks later, I got sent off for a colonoscopy. Not a very nice experience. And if you know anybody who's ever had the liquid that you have to take to cleanse your body, it's absolutely vile. You know, they say, yeah, you can, you, can, you can change the taste with orange or lemon squash. And it's like, oh, you, you just got to get down with it. Um, and uh, I remember having the procedure because I was still awake. And um, there on the screen was a massive tumour. And I could literally sense the the whole, you know, what was going on in the room. And he said, oh, I'm just going to give you a little tattoo. And I'm like, oh, first tattoo I've ever had. <laughs> it's one that nobody's ever going to see, but okay. 
And then we came out and my, my friend came with me on that occasion because my partner wasn't around. And he's like, yeah, you know, we found this and now we need to obviously send the biopsy off and we'll let you know. Mm. And then a couple of weeks later, because um, it just takes time, you know, by the time it gets sent off and it goes through the system and then it has to go around different people for second opinions. So there's a lot of waiting. <laughs> and when, this when you had that, for, yeah, that procedure and he told you mm. that they found something and then you knew you'd have to wait for the results. What what was it like for you? What was going through your head? It was just it, my my way of protecting myself was just to be a little bit kind of flippant and just numb I think really I didn't um I was obviously worried you know thinking what what's going on you know is it maybe ulcerative colitis like my mum's got um but nothing nothing else was really going through my head my because I was working I've you know got we've got five children between us me and my partner so I had lots of other things to distract me but I was thinking, oh, that's really not what I expected. Um, I think that was kind of the overriding thing. Um, and then when, so basically the, the guy who ended up doing my colonoscopy also turned into be the, the guy that I had my consultant appointment with. Right. And we went into Southend Hospital and um, my mum came with me with, with Russ as well. And it's amazing the little things that you remember so you we go into a little consultation room and the cancer nurse was there along with the consultant and she came in she locked the door behind her and then we knew you know that was like a a trigger that was absolutely like why are you locking us in you know what's going on here you know alarm bells were ringing even before we'd had a conversation wow um and it was then that he'd said look you know it um, you know, uh, sorry, kind of rewinding through this process. There was various other <laughs> scans that I had: CT scans, PET scans, you right. name it. Lots of different hospitals and stuff like that. And I can't remember that the exact timescales of when I got had this first appointment. But he literally said, you know, it bowel cancer travels from you know your bowel and then outside the walls, and it travels to um, the liver and and the lungs. And you do have. What, what looks to be, um, you know, cancer in your liver and it spreads to your lungs. You've got lung nodules. Wow. And basically he told me I was going to, you know, um, there was there was nothing they could do, nothing. But I felt fine. I was, like, still carrying wow. on, doing my normal life, working. I'd just moved in with Russ because we'd had – we'd met in April 2016 and then we'd moved in quite quickly in sort of November time six months later and literally it was the two months after that then I got this news and I was like you know I've just got a really nice partner created a brand new blended family and this isn't the news that really I deserve (laughs) no I think what you just said there is is so important you felt fine you felt absolutely fine and suddenly you're locked in a room going oh my god this is this is serious and they tell you that and yet yeah you've just not felt anything and I think this is the important message isn't it to get across to people that it cancer is not something that you feel Mm. it's it's already there and it's growing and it can be stretching and we and we just don't know and this is why it's so important that we're vigilant Mm. checking our breasts looking at the toilet when we've been Mm. to it and when we wiped and all that kind of stuff um but wow, what news to be hit. And then to be told that they don't think there's anything they can do. Goodness. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I still got the letter that was posted to me saying, you know, um, we're able to offer you palliative care. So I had two weeks of planning my own funeral and telling the kids because we wanted the children to know because, 
you know, obviously an appropriate language and the right way to do it. They were quite young. I think my yeah. daughter was, how old is she now? She was 13 at the time. So she was the eldest and then down to eight. So lots of mixed, because I thought, you know, they, they're going to notice, they're going to pick up what's going on. I, and um, funny enough, speaking to other people who've been through it, not told the children, their children have grown up wanting to help, even at the age of like eight to 10. They wanted to know so that they could do something to help and they knew something was going on. So anyway, I had that too. The children know. Yeah, I had those two weeks, um, which is pretty horrendous. Um, and I, the, <laughs> I remember I was pointing over there because that's where my we lived in another house, but exactly the same layout. But that's where our dining table was. And behind me was a sofa. And I was, you know, lying out on the sofa, just completely, you know, just. I, I can't even describe the words, but I was just it just felt surreal because all my friends and family around the, the kitchen table playing games. And, you know, obviously they were there for me, um, but I wasn't able to join in because I was just completely wrecked emotionally. And really, I just wanted them to get lost. I just thought, you know, I just really can't deal with this right now. <laughs> and no way, leave me alone. Yeah, just go away and leave me alone. Um, and although I could kind of see, you know, they were having a nice time and they wanted me to be there, that is just my that very very clear memory but that <laughs> this isn't fair um so another couple of weeks passed and they did further tests and further scans and they found out that basically I do have at the time some blood vessel activity in my liver and I do have lung nodules but they were too small to categorize which meant that he said would you you know we can operate and we can get rid of this tumor and I was like oh yeah yes <laughs> let's do that yeah so that was probably about three, three or four weeks after I originally had my colonoscopy and I went in, had the tumour removed, I was quite lucky in the fact that I didn't have to have a stoma bag. Um, wow. I didn't, I, I must have forgotten, but they take away lymph nodes as part of the procedure. So I was thinking, you know, six weeks later, I'm going to be back at work, get back to my sponsorship um, job, working in Coventry, doing events and all that kind of other stuff. And then kind of halfway through that period of time when I was beginning to recover physically, they said, oh, well, the results would come back from the lymph nodes and it's stage three. And I don't know anybody who's got cancer. So no. I don't know anything about staging. No, they tell you that like, you know, and it's like, um, yeah. okay. It's and you get this letter with, you know, all these different PN1, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, have no idea what that means and then you know even though I had a fantastic cancer nurse who spoke to me in a really weird voice and it was like oh hello Tasha how are you and how are you feeling today and it really drove me mad because it didn't sound like a normal voice and in a, in a way we took, took the mickey out of it to make light of it and it's like oh it's I won't say her name it's it's yeah. her name I'm gonna die I'm not gonna die because obviously I was gonna die I'm not gonna die but then when I got the all clear she just talked really normally oh hi how you doing what are you doing this weekend so it's a really different voice. so so anyway you know I had people to reach out to but I think because there's so much going on emotionally you need somebody around you to kind of really make make sense of the information that's been conveyed to you yeah, because even if they're saying it in really simple language, it's really hard to take in. <laughs> and I think that's obviously your body's way of kind of shutting down and going, right, OK, I need to preserve the energy. Mm. So no, I didn't want to, but, you know, as, as we've talked before, I didn't want to fight it. I didn't want to beat it. I wanted to work with it because it was my body. Exactly. Um, and I needed to stop that kind of way of thinking. Um, so I guess that was just my way of preserving myself. But, um, yeah, it was just... It, Right. Okay. Let's um, 
sorry, the stage three I was talking about. And then it was like, like well, you, you know, the option is to have chemotherapy. And I was like, what? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> really? No, this, again, this wasn't in my plan of things to be happening. I've got really long hair, you know, yeah. and it's those simple things that you think about that you think, oh, you know, and then um, I'd, I'd gone to a homeopath and he'd supported me through my treatment and he didn't particularly want me to go down the chemotherapy route yeah. but I said you know the decision had to be mine and I said if I don't have chemo and it ends up coming back I'm going to be however many months behind however many years behind and maybe I don't have, I won't have that choice so yeah. I decided to go for it but also use um you know the the difference in kind of diet and mm. uh, you know, the vitamins and it was you know it was nothing wacky and fluffy it was just oh, yeah. a, a case of you know, for me, you know, everybody's different. Some selenium, some, oh, I had like a spreadsheet with the things I was taking at the time. And I do, do take some of them now. Right. And I think that was quite helpful for me because I wanted to not only trust the oncologist because they were like, oh, just eat what you like, eat what you fancy, which sometimes you you need to do that when you have chemo, because actually all I fancied was salt and vinegar balsamic crisps and rust. <laughs> 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 yeah, and after you know you've got all these steroids going around in your body and you're not sleeping it's you know it's you've, you're wired up and he used to come in and drop you know big Sainsbury's bags full of junk on my bed because I knew in two or three days after that yeah. I would be eating salmon and avocado and all the kind of things right. I would normally eat but yeah. you kind of have to put aside all, all the beliefs about what's good and bad um, and just go with what your body needs. But yeah, at the time I was like, right, okay, I need to go and see a homeopath to help support me. I had reflexology, which was amazing. So when I had my first chemotherapy session, what they tend to do with people of our age is that they give you full whack if you're fit and healthy. Right. And then basically right. that, that just laid me out for a week, couldn't, couldn't move out of bed. Yeah. Um, and I thought, right, okay, I don't really want to feel well, like this. Just to interject to let people know, that mm. is quite a normal response and reaction when you're given that full dose, isn't it? It's, yeah. You know, it, because there's people who will be, well, I'm fit and healthy and, and it won't wipe me out. Well, it probably will. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think, you know, we went for the pre-meetings um, with the, chemo nurses and got to find out a bit about it obviously they give you lots of leaflets lots of access to really great information but nobody had ever prepared me for seeing the amount of people having chemo at the same time really wow. it was incredible so there were three rooms of people at various stages you know with different kind of ice caps on for you know that kind of chemo that makes you obviously lose your hair yeah. um young you know really young people um older people everybody there was just like 20 people at the same time having chemo wow. and it was just a complete shock it was just like okay ah this isn't something that I prepared myself for so that was quite difficult to get over <laughs> and yeah. you know people wanted to be with me when I had the, the chemo and it, it's not just a case of having you know being hooked up for a couple of hours you're there you have your pre-meds then you get hooked up and then you wait for somebody to come around and then you have something else put in there and then you have you know the flush so you're there all day right. and that's if all your levels are right you know if your liver is functioning okay if, you're, if your liver's not functioning okay they say you gotta go away and come back oh so goodness. it's not just a few hours a whole day out and did that ever happen to you yeah yeah a few times so my liver didn't like <laughs> what they were doing yeah and it was like, no, I don't want it. Um, let's 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 have a little bit more of a break. So you kind of build yourself up to it. 
what tends to happen is obviously, like you said, you know, when you have chemo, you're whacked out and then it has a period of time because you're taking other medication at the same time for it to kind of go through your system. And then it gets to a point where things become manageable again, probably in about two or three three weeks time, which is when you've got to go back for another session. (laughs) So so you just get to the point when you're feeling normal and then it's like, oh, you kind of know around the corner again. Yeah. So, um, how many months were we talking of treatment then? Uh, originally, it was going to be six months, um, but then halfway through, so I think I was up to three or four, and this is because I had a couple of breaks in between time. They phoned and said, "Look, they've done some studies in America, and with people who've been at the stage where you are, and where you are at in your treatment, and you know the, the symptoms that you had." we can stop because the chances of survival and, you know, getting better are as good as if you carried on. And I'm like, yes, I definitely want to stop. <laughs> Don't give me any more. Yeah. So that took me through to August, which is my last um, chemo. And then um, basically since then I've had the all clear. So from there I was moved to every three month blood tests. Right. And my CEA levels, again, never, never knew what a CEA level was until then. It was always at one. Pete, with people what that stands for, in case somebody's thinking exactly the same. Whatever it is in the system they're looking for to that attributes to the kind of cancer that right. I had. I kind of, I, I probably knew it at one point, but I think my brain has just gone. You don't need to know about that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that. It's just all you need to know is it's fine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. But my, my focus was it's on number one. And every time I went back up after every three months, it was at number one. And then over a period of time, maybe about a year, it was at, you know, every six months. And then a couple of months ago, I had a letter to say, oh, we're going to see you every year. So wow. the weird thing is when that happened, you're like, oh, well, who's going to look after me? You know, oh, you've had really? all that care and all that, you know, that people, you know, looking after you and going for scans and checking that everything's okay. And then you're like, oh, I feel like you're a bit, left out really um and I think you know my whole care thankfully it was before COVID so I got seen really quickly I got amazing care um I was very lucky to join Macmillan at South End Hospital because they've got a base there and they've got a really good support network so they gave me the opportunity to have the reflexology like I said before which I think I probably missed out but made me feel lighter after chemotherapy and that really balanced me I used to go in like and then come out and just feel so much more calm so I had a couple of sessions with them and then I invested privately into others um but they gave me the opportunity to have end-of-life counseling oh brilliant yeah and I'd been I'd had um some CBT for other bits and pieces in the past and it had been successful and I, I tended although I enjoy talking I've always wanted to fixed myself I don't know if that makes sense but yeah, it was new yeah. <laughs> um, but I knew I needed it and um, the counsellor said you know actually when people have their treatment they're obviously full of um, you know all their kind of adrenaline and getting things done and doing things and going to appointments and receiving letters and doing stuff but actually when that stops she said 90% of the time that's when she sees most people because then that's the time when they suddenly look back and go, oh, and for me it was six months ago, I thought I was fit and healthy and you've just told me I was going to die. What the frick do I do now? And who am I and what do I want from my life? And that was amazing questions, isn't it, that pop up and this is again something that it's important that we highlight to people that that response, though 
you don't know what quite to do with it it is actually normal because you're not in a space or a place to be able to process it at that time when you're told that and it's mm. always later on yeah yeah so i had i think about six or eight sessions regularly every week um on site and and it wasn't just talking about the the cancer experience it was about my relationship my past relationship and um, what i was doing work and you know what i was doing with my life and and even though I was, you know, categorically a healthy person, I'd been through a very, very tricky divorce a few yeah. years before that. Yeah. And um, it had resulted in going to court and got a, getting a non-molestation order. And I had coped and we have come through it. And we are 10 years down the line now. And I can talk to my ex-husband and we have a good relationship. But it was a very, very tricky time. And do I think that that caused the bowel cancer? Absolutely not. But I definitely think that didn't help. So it was my thought process in, you know, in that end of life counseling sessions, thinking, what am I going to do differently in my life to make sure that I never go back there? Right, right. And and so did you feel when you'd finished those sessions that you had come to terms with it and mm. who you now are? Yeah, the even before I did my NLP training, um, I didn't want to fight it. I didn't want to beat it. I'd, I'd studied to be a yoga teacher 18 years ago and I did the three years course, three years course, three year course mm. and had um, taught for a couple of years. So, you know, you learn a lot about the whole body mind connection kind of thing. So to me, it didn't make sense that it was, I'm going to be fighting a part of my body. And that's why I wanted to work with it. And I wanted to, you know, nurture my cells and all of this kind of other stuff and change my language around it. Yeah. And it was only through my later training that I realized how important that was. And, you know, when I said to one of my friends, who's a grumpy policeman, <laughs> when I had my, my diagnosis, he said, well, if I was told I was going to die, I would probably die. And that was again, a penny drop moment when I thought, Oh, okay. You know, the, the <laughs> a sense of belief is so strong, but my belief, even when I got the original diagnosis was that I'm going to stay alive and I was going to do everything I could to stay alive and I was going to ask for help and do lots of different things to be part of that journey like I said rather than just relying on what other people were telling me and looking at books and you know I didn't do any crazy juice diets or anything wacky or you know anything like that but I do believe that what you know if you think it's going to work <laughs> then it will and this is what you you kind of when when people when we're talking about NLP, so for those people who don't know, it's neuro linguistic programming, and it really is talking about the words that you use inside your head to yourself, but also out loud and to others. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also about our behaviour patterns and realizing that a lot of what we think is is automatic, and we're not mm -hmm. conscious of it. And it's only when something like this kicks in that we understand that actually we can choose to use different words, mm -hmm. and that will therefore create a different interpretation, which then allows us to think a different way and mm -hmm. therefore feel a different way. And and the power of that is is huge isn't it in yeah. in all areas of, of life and health and it's going to pick up on what you said about not using the term beating it because it's something that you see all over the place isn't yeah. it we're going to fight cancer we're going to beat it and 
And I, like you, and we have had this conversation, using that language is so not helpful mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. any way, shape or form, because we've got to work with the body, work with the cells and understand that it, it didn't happen because you're a bad person or you deserved it or you asked for it and it doesn't need beating up. And and it, just the very fact that you're able to to go through that and, and realise that your yoga suddenly your yoga teaching mm. came into the fore your understanding of of different types of natural therapy mm. that were available were also all helpful as was a change in diet but nothing true bonkers yeah. and and this is where you know it's really important that that people are hearing this you don't have to go to extremes you just have to start to tune into you don't you mm. yeah and i think you know what you just touched on is something that i didn't um raise already was the blame of you know how I quite like bacon. <laughs> I don't eat much of it now. And you know, when you do, when I did my research on bowel cancer and what causes it, it's you know everything to do with processed meats and where things come from, um, and obviously gut health and the amount of beer that you drunk. And I thought, wow, I grew up in North London, I went to Cricklewood every night and full of Irish pubs. Is that what caused it? You know, I had a great, a great time when I was eighteen and nineteen and out with my friends in Kilburn. It was brilliant. Um, so, and but that takes you back to the past, doesn't it? What and it, as we know, you know, in NLP, we call that living. We call that living effect. Why has this happened? Which isn't helpful. And it's part of. It's normal to go through that process, but it's really helpful to get out of that quickly and come into cause. So, um, rather than saying, I can't remember what I said just now um, about the um, my cells. Oh, that's it. Instead of saying why has this happened, I said my cells are confused, yeah. and they just need time to work it out. So Love that it. instantly took away any blame and any kind of real need for me to fix it straight away. And that was really, really helpful. And when I work with people who are going through cancer now and they're, and they're you know, they're carers. Um, at the moment, I'm working with a guy who's got prostate cancer that's metastasized oh dear. onto his neck. And we, you know, we do this in every session and we talk about the language and we do the visualizations of um, coming into wholeness and allowing the symptoms to release and then bringing something that's more helpful and you know seeing the cancer shrink and visualizing and all that kind of other stuff because the brain is incredible it's so powerful <laughs> um and but this is all this is all before i actually you know knew what i know now from my training so yeah it, it, when i found out and, and started training in nlp it all kind of you know the jigsaw pieces came together and yeah. this is why i now focus on health because it's it, not only is it easy <laughs> it's quite simple to do yes and, and you know and this is where it delights me to hear you say that because it doesn't have to be complicated or confusing it really doesn't but yeah. but the way that we that we speak and, and what we hear mm. and what's thrown at us from social media from mm. the news channels themselves yeah. um I, you just kind of you have to be a little bit savvy to be able to mm. kind of distinguish the the facts yes from from the marketing stuff and the hype and the fear mongering and that's yeah. unfortunately what a lot of people are not able to do no. so tell us about what you're what you're doing now in in terms of obviously you just said that you are supporting other people so what else do you do now yeah so two years ago um when i'd learned nlp and i really did nlp for kind of my work as well for help with presentations and sales and confidence mainly um but 
And I wanted it to kind of help me develop that, but actually it made me really change how I was talking to my family and the children and uh, getting my daughter to tidy her bedroom without shouting at her, which is a bonus. <laughs> she's not here now. She's got a bedroom at university in South Bank. Um, but that's another story. So um, that's, and I've always been fascinated with parenting and relationships and I didn't really realize how many parenting books I've got until I put them all in one place. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, well, I'm helping quite a few people in what I'm doing. I did the master practitioner course. And then I started the business just before lockdown. So the chance of working one to one people was completely not there. <laughs> and then I met um, a wellbeing company on LinkedIn and they offered me the opportunity to do a digital session with New Look all around financial well-being. So, you know, with NLP, we learned, we we talked about the, you know, the language of money. Does money grow on trees? Do you have short arms and long pockets? And, you know, the meaning of all, you know, what we believe and checking our beliefs around money. And, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I made sure I had some training to to know how to put together a session and stuff and then that that has led on to more work with this company and we're our current client his current client is a gym group so we're doing a leadership program and I tap in with a little bit of NLP when I, I find it's really useful yeah. um, so I tend to work with you know you know small companies big companies um, anybody who really wants to look at leadership and culture um, and who wants to develop their teams it's not all about leadership skills it's about allowing teams to think differently, behave differently, find out more about each other, you know, not go into kind of judgment and all that kind of stuff with priming. Um, so that's kind of the corporate stuff, but it's all, all kinds of well-being as well. Yeah. And then in my one-to-one -one work, even though the most of my, you know, social media messaging, and I don't do a lot, I'm not a planner, I just talk about stuff as and when it happens because I think that's quite natural. Yeah. Um, so even though I talk about people like me who set up a business, who've got a blended family, actually most of my clients are men so right. it's yeah cancer patient at the moment a guy who'd completely lost his weight he'd lost his dad um and wanted to get back into what he was doing before in his line of work but really didn't have the confidence to know how to do it um and but other people come to me you know with various different things and as you know Vicky it's what people come to you wanting to change isn't generally what we end up changing everything <laughs> as we say yeah yeah um but I tend to put my message out there that we help with changing basically thoughts and behaviors but especially those people who've gone through a terminal or a, a life-changing illness but also to support those people who are supporting those people going through illness because it obviously just doesn't affect that person it's everybody else in the family and friends isn't it absolutely um, yeah yeah, the ripple effect is is something, and and I mean, this is where I think Macmillan comes into to mm. its own because it really does offer the support to the rest of the family yeah. as well, doesn't it? Which is yeah. which is fantastic. So, where do people find you if they would like to get in touch with no. you? on the corporate side of things or whether it's for, for personal things where where are you hanging out yeah so I've got a website which is um www.letsmaketime.co.uk um and I forgot to mention actually about a year ago I joined a group and we've formed a, a kind of a group and it's a called NLP for health and it's a it's basically four or five of us. One of the ladies in this group has been working very closely with her GP for the last 10 years. 
And she doesn't get recommended and referred because that would insinuate that the GP pays for it. But they actually signpost people to her. Right. And that's children, that's families, that's, you know, people wanting to lose weight, lots of different things going on. She runs a mindfulness course. She does so many different areas. Um, and it's our mission to offer every GP surgery in the UK access to an NLP professional. And at the moment, we've got 15 all around the country. Oh, that's so, and, and this is purely, I mean, obviously, because NLP is amazing, we know that. But the, the NLP technique that stopped me crying about scans, collapsing anchor, is the thing that made me change my mind about working with individuals. Because right. I thought, right, I'm fine. At the time, I felt fine. But I'm still crying about a letter or a phone call about a scan or an appointment. And this is ridiculous. You know, I've done my mindfulness app. I've done my yoga. <laughs> I've read all the books. I feel fine. But I still couldn't stop crying. Yeah. So I said to my NLP trainer, look, what can we do? And she said, okay, let's just do the collapsing anchor. And that was four years ago now. And I've never cried about a scan since. And I was like, wow, this is good. <laughs> so it's that's kind of, yeah, and it, that's off the back of that, really. So this is why I'm really, really focused on health to get it into mainstream. And it is happening, you know, nowadays. I think uh, the government have just recently announced that they're employing a thousand health coaches across the country. It's not enough, but, you know, it's becoming less CBT and everything else based. So that's Which is yeah. great news for, for people like us. Um, yes. Because we know that we're there to support the GPs. We're, we're not we're not there to do anything other than that. But we also know that they just can't do everything and they can't really offer as much as they want to, because let's face yeah. it, they got into that to help people just because of the time factor and the restraints on them. So the very fact that, that they can know that there are people like us yeah. that can actually help with the emotional side yeah. of things uh, as well as the practical stuff. Yeah, life um, skills. So skills important. Life. Yeah, the life skills stuff. They just haven't got time to do. No. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Is there any last words that you would like to uh, to leave people with? Or is there an affirmation or a saying or a mantra or a phrase that has helped you through that perhaps you'd care to share with our listeners? I think it's, it's just about going and checking, you know, bringing more awareness to what your actual body is trying to tell you, listening to that internal voice. If it keeps repeating itself, take notice and Take some time out, however you can, to work out what's actually going on and go to your GP. You know, don't worry about what they might be looking for. They're not going to ask you to bend over. I can assure you that <laughs> there and then. <laughs> um, and keep talking about it because it's amazing. I, I talk about it and my, even one of my closest friends said, look, Tash, had you have not gone through your experience, I wouldn't have gone to my GP. She ended up having the colos colonoscopy. It didn't turn into anything, but without me talking about it, she wouldn't have done it. And then it might've been a different situation. So the more we can talk about it, you know, do the Deborah James thing. <laughs> Let's normalize talking about poo and um, continue to check. And, you know, even if you are healthy, there, you know, just get it checked and then just work it out from there and then just deal with it, you know, when you, when you get your results, but and just carry on talking and asking for help, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, brilliant. And on that note, I am going to say thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. I'm sure that people have got a lot of takeaways from that. And if if you have listened to this and found it extremely helpful and you've been wondering whether to go and see your GP, you've just heard what Tasha said, just go. If you know somebody who may be putting it off and struggling, perhaps you'd like to point them in the direction of this podcast and just let them have a listen for themselves. 
I want to say thank you for listening once again. I have been Vicky Midwood. This is Raw Chatter, and we do always talk about the stuff that matters. Take care, and I'll see you soon. Thank you.